210-848-1196 or visit revolutionbooks.org. This event is wheelchair accessible and a benefit for the Media Freedom Foundation. This is KPFA, KPFB, KFCF in Fresno. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Hello, welcome to Cover to Cover, Open Book, Real to Real, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and for the next half hour, we'll be talking about film. Today, we'll talk about the new film by documentary filmmaker Kirby Dick. It's entitled The Hunting Ground, and it looks at rape on college campuses and the cover-up, both by college administration of these rapes, as well as by local police departments. Those brave women and men who try to report the crime face disbelief, apathy, victim-blaming, harassment, and retaliation from both their fellow students and the administrators whose job it is to protect them. With me to talk about this film is director Kirby Deck. Welcome to KPFA. I'm wondering what drew you to this particular subject. Well, uh, I made the film with my producer, Amy Ziering, um, and we... Uh, we also had made a previous film called The Invisible War about rape in the military and uh, that we finished that about three years ago and when we were taking that film out to college campuses uh, and doing Q&A's after the screenings of the films the, the conversation would turn very quickly from rape in the military to rape on college campuses and it seemed like something was really bubbling up around campuses and then we, when we came back after these screenings we started getting letters and emails uh, from people, sometimes survivors, imploring us to make a film about this. And so we we really felt that this is something, we knew this territory and we really felt like we had to make a film about it. When you say that you knew the territory, like what do you think the elements were that you're talking about? Because uh, the first thing that comes to mind is vulnerability, that you are having to get incredibly personal stories from all these women and men uh, as a starting point, that's a difficult position. Yes, yes it is. And uh, it was uh, certainly a challenge in some ways. In some ways it wasn't on this film because it was not hard for us to find survivors of, 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 of you know, women and men who'd been assaulted on college campuses because it's so prevalent. What was difficult was uh, them making the decision to go forward and speak in a documentary because in so many cases when they came forward before and spoke to their school, um, or sometimes even their parents, they were victim blamed. They were uh, were not supported. But they, most of these people were aware of our previous film, The Invisible War, and felt that they, their story would be presented properly. Now, the interviews are all done by Amy Ziering, my producer, and I think she's she's has a really um, great way of uh, interacting with survivors. She she does everything she can to make them feel very very safe. Um, there is n really no pressure at all. They can talk about whatever they want to uh, and not talk about whatever part of the story they don't want to. Um, and so what we really want them to do is to feel safe and believed in those environments. Well, I know that there's many different roles a producer can have in a documentary film, but I haven't heard of one before where they're the ones doing the interviews. How did the two, you and Amy, talk about this? Well... I mean, I'm, I, you know, I've I've made 11. This is my 11th documentary feature film, but I I really try to work very collaboratively with with everyone, and you know, certainly with Amy. Um, this is the fourth film that we've made together. We actually directed, co-directed a film uh, on Jacques Derrida about uh, 10 years ago, a little over, well, about 12, 13 years ago, and. 
since most of the people we were speaking to were women in both the Invisible War and in uh, the Hunting Ground, it seemed appropriate that Amy would do the interviews. But also, I I really felt that Amy had the right style for this kind of subject matter. Um, there's a she's very empathetic, uh, very moved, visibly moved as she's doing the interviews, and I think that sort of um, sort of um, nonverbal communication that goes on between her and the subject is it, it makes for a, I, I think a very close relationship and, and a very good interview and so were you not in the room when these interviews were happening oh, oh, oh no I, I was definitely in the room um, absolutely um, and then I usually at the end of the interviews I would come in and spend you know a fair amount of time asking uh, additional questions as well and it actually is quite a <laughs> a, a fortunate position to be in as a director because when you're listening to an interview you, you you're a little bit outside of it and you can tell exactly what parts of the interview you might be you'd be able to use in the film and so I could come back and I could ask additional questions around those so it, it worked it worked well and for a, a number of reasons so it's um, it's a very interesting thing that then the two of you are doing together, and uh, you're gathering all this information. And I, uh, you know, this is a film in some ways that I would say is more of a um, an action, trying to create political action as a film. And you've made films where. Uh, the idea is much more focused on subtlety and you've made films where the idea is more focused on action and so I'm wondering when you were listening to those questions that Amy was asking and then you're asking your own what are you how are you trying to shape what you imagine that the film is going to be well wow that's a that's a big question um, I mean <clears throat> I mean you're <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, no, you're absolutely right that, you know, there's definitely a strong advocacy component to this film. Uh, and I think it's hard, you know, when, you know, we interviewed 70 survivors. We, we spoke with over 150 survivors. And we kept hearing the same stories over and over, not only of the assault and how these people in many cases were, were um, you know, it was repeat offenders who had targeted them, but also how the schools respond. I mean, it, it creates... You know, it just really created a desire in both Amy and I to really make a film that would help shift the debate on this, on this subject matter. Um, at the same time, you know, when you're dealing with something as, as, as painful and as traumatic and as profound as, you know, the experience of sexual assault and everything that goes around that, associated with that, it's also, it's very powerful material from a cinematic perspective. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, you know, kind of go forward on both fronts, you know, trying to create a powerful cinematic experience at the same time make a film that will not be just dismissed as a really good film, but will also be, you know, that, you know, politicians, college administrators, parents, students will use to push this dialogue forward. So you focus on many uh, different aspects. One of them is that you talk to school administrators, uh, some who uh, tell you that that the job of the school is to minimize what's happened. Um, and then you have uh, interviews with people or we see on screen people who are you're seeing that they're they're saying nothing is wrong. So uh, how did you think about that in terms of structuring the film? Well, I, I mean, I think the story that we've gotten from colleges and universities is that 
they're doing a pretty good job. Um, th they're very, very concerned about this. It's, you know, it's a problem in society. So why are we so concerned about being a problem on college campuses? But when you, when you dig deeper into that, you realize that that's really just part of trying to keep a lid on the story, keep it covered up, really, because the administrators that we spoke to who had either retired or moved on, because no administrator who was in school, in, in a, in, at a school, as, as far as I can remember, was willing to talk to us for fear of their jobs. So these, these administrators who'd been there before, they were able to tell us what was really going on. And again, it's, you know, as I said before, it was, it's 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 really shocking. I mean, many of these people had talked, spoken with hundreds of survivors, and they were hearing the same stories over and over. Uh, now, you. It seems like one of the things you did in the film was really connect with these uh, two young women who wind up becoming uh, empowered by the the rape and then what happened to them that the fact that their uh, that their schools did not help them in any kind of way at University of North Carolina and so following them as another storyline what was what was that like um, in terms of both following them ac across the country and uh, the changes that you were seeing in them as they became stronger and stronger political advocates that's a very good question um, when we began making the film there was just the beginnings of this sort of student activism that has over the last two years transformed this debate and I think two of the you know primary activists in this effort have been Annie Clark and Andrea Pino who are at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill they were uh, they were raped there and the school, you know, responded very, very poorly. Uh, they couldn't get the school to change its policies. So what they did is they, they used t a t Title IX, a gender, a gender equity law as sort of the basis of a federal complaint that they filed against the school. Now they're not attorneys. So they had to learn the law. They had to learn how to file a complaint. They had to write it all themselves. And the result of that was that it brought all this attention on, on UNC. And and it started at least a discussion there. And then they started getting a, a calls and email, well, mostly emails and social media, uh, from other activists, other survivors around the country who were thinking about this or who wanted to do something like this. And they started helping them write their complaints. And so over a year and a half, you see um, there's now over 100, um, I think, timeline investigations uh, across the country and you know a great deal of that has to do with Annie and Andrea and these other activists and it's I think it's historic so to be able as a documentary filmmaker to be able to follow this rise of the student movement that has really changed the date and the reason we're here talking about it right now was really exciting uh, I, it was unexpected I mean we thought you know we you know I've again I've made many films and I saw that they would be good documentary film subjects I did not think they would accomplish what they accomplished in so, in so short a time do you think that there was something about you filming them that also helped uh, make them feel that they could take the next step um, no, I don't think I can take credit for that. They they are very strong young women and very determined. And um, so, no. Um, and sometimes I think that's true with documentary subjects. But in this case, no. It's uh, everything that they accomplished, they would have accomplished without the cameras there. Again, I was lucky to have the cameras there. So, the, you know, you're trying to balance in this film all these different stories. Uh, and 
like with these two women, you're seeing these two women who are getting stronger and stronger. And then there's other women who, uh, you know, the rape happens. They wind up uh, becoming traumatized. They dissociate. They disconnect. They can't really survive anymore. So you're talking about a film that I would say sounds almost impossible to do because there's so many different kinds of paces and so many different kinds of emotions creating created in the story. Yeah, yeah. It, no, this is a real challenge. I mean, to begin with, um, when I made, uh, when we made uh, The Invisible War about rape in the military, everything funnels to the Pentagon, right? Here, there are thousands of schools, 50 state, you know, college and university, state university systems. Uh, it's very disparate. So, we had to, and we were involved in, you know, following stories uh, on dozens of campuses over two years. So it was just, we were very far flung. Um, and then again, you, like you said, you have you have the the whole policy, school policy, school procedure. You have each of the individual stories. Um, you have the history of this. So, what what again? What we wanted to do was we wanted to convey. I mean, and 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 you have all these schools. So, we could have approached it by saying, well, we'll focus on three or four stories at you know three or four schools, and that would have been a very effective way to do it. The problem is, is that people would have walked would have walked away and said, well, the problem is at those three or four sc schools. It's not the, the you know the sexual assault is a problem at all colleges, and that's what we wanted people to walk away with. That this was a systemic problem, and that we as a society and higher education as an institution needs to collectively focus on this problem. We're talking to Kirby Dick. His film, The Hunting Ground, is in Bay Area theaters. So, uh, so you had all those elements. How did you think about it in the editing process? Because you had, you know, it's, it seems like there's a, there's a lot of different movements in this film. Well, I worked with some very good editors. Um, I worked with, you know, three editors, uh, uh, and, um, and each actually brought different strengths to it, so so that certainly helped. Um, it was a long editing process, um, and I again I was really trying to balance all these things. It was a real challenge. One of the things I do in the editing process is I tend to have screenings throughout the process, uh, very informal screens in my living room, where after the film is shown. I really encourage just feedback and discussion, and it's, it can be very loose. I just let the conversation go wherever it might go, and it's it's very informative because as a documentary, as a filmmaker, you don't have you know you lose perspective on your own work, and as a documentary filmmaker, it's even harder because not only are you dealing with the film, but you're dealing with all the other material that isn't in the film that informs your understanding of that film. So. It's really important to get these initial impressions and d discussions about the themes, and um, so it, it was a long process of, of 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 sort of honing it down to to what it became. Uh, now, in the film, you're talking about how 20% of women wind up being sexually assaulted, and I guess one out of uh, 33 college men will be assaulted. So these are really quite high numbers, uh, and you want to come away from the film, I think, with an active feeling. But I have to say, watching the film, <laughs> it was so painful. I mean, it was uh, extraordinary to see the suffering of of all these young people. Well, I see. I think that's one of the, one of the reasons we wanted to show that is because their voices there are not heard. I mean, that's 
I mean, sexual assault is is covered up not only in institutions. It's it, there, there's a there's a, a tendency to deny it across the society. And the one thing that changes that is obviously if you know someone who's been assaulted or if you hear these stories. And that's you know, there's been a, a lot of good coverage. The New York Times and other you know publications have been covering this over the last year or so very very well. But a documentary can do something in addition, which is bring these voices. You know, so you see these these women and men, you hear them, and that changes the way you understand this issue if you're not familiar with it. And it certainly changed the way I did. Um, and this is what I feel that college presidents in particular they're are not doing for the most part they're not sitting down with survivors and listening you know they're not sitting down with survivors and 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 really having extended conversations really listening to what their experiences were and how what happened when they came forward to report and until they do that they they you can never really understand the nature of the problem they cannot understand the nature of the problem and without that understanding they really can't begin to address it so I mean, I would ask all college presidents to take the opportunity to sit down with their survivors, and there are many survivors on all college campuses, and just start this dialogue. And then also, I would ask them to inc include them and the activists in the in the uh, in the search for solutions, because if they're not included, you will come up with policies that will not address the real problem and will not support survivors. And if you don't support survivors, they won't report. Uh, they will not report their assaults. And if they don't report their assaults, you'll never find the perpetrator. I would say that in your film, you're basically saying that 85 to 90 percent of the issue has to do with finances. And uh, I guess what you're leaving out is uh, the power dynamics and the sexism that creates the environment for the rape to happen in the first place and uh, I mean maybe that's a diff more difficult area to get action but I'm wondering how you thought about that in terms of your point of view in the film well it's a very good question and we did think about that obviously um, you know there's a you know there's definitely without doubt you know extensive sexism in the society it plays into the issue of sexual assault you know there's rape culture which we examined to some degree certainly um but we wanted to view this as not a society it is a society-wide problem without a doubt but we wanted to find ways of honing it down to this institution so rather than saying this is a problem throughout society sexism and um, this misogyny I wanted to say look at these institutions who are espousing these very high ideals who are in many ways just uh, you know some of our most exemplary institutions but they're really falling down on this I wanted to keep the focus on that rather than on a broader cultural issue I mean it, my feeling is if you can isolate an institution hold it you know and, and hold it accountable and and you know be a part of compelling it to change then it will change its arena and that will help to change society i mean we've to some degree we've seen that with the invisible war and rape in the military not only did former secretary of defense leon panetta you know change policy after seeing the film but you know the military is using the film as part of its sexual assault training program so my idea was and amy's idea as well it was to keep the focus on a particular institution now it's interesting because one of the things that you do show uh, there's a young woman in south florida who gets raped by somebody who's a football player and uh and as she brings the charges against him uh 
what winds up happening is that people who are at the football games, you interview them, you sort of do a vox pop, and they just say horrible things to her um, or about her. And that actually this happens to a lot of the women who wind up becoming public with their rapes. They get uh, hate mail and, uh, and death threats. So how do you understand that? I think there's a tendency to disbelieve and suspect uh, people who are survivors of sexual assault and come forward and talk about it. I think it's one of the most profound, you know, most significant problems around this whole issue. The reality is that only two to eight percent of reports of sexual assault are false. The rest are not false. So when somebody comes forward and, and says, I've been assaulted, it's very, very, very likely it's true. But I think for, you know, there is this I think there's even a society-wide tendency to deny this is a problem, not even to think about it. They, there's a, a tendency to, to think, we, we don't do this. This is not something that, that this society does. Yes, this society does it. It's very prevalent in a society. It's prevalent in all societies. And that's why it's so important to listen to survivors and believe them. So where in this process were you able to get funding? I see that CNN Films funded this. When did that happen? Uh, it happened uh, sort of uh, relatively early on in the process. I guess we were we were about six months into shooting. Usually, we once once we just uh, um, begin to make a film, we actually just begin making the film even without funding because partially we don't want to wait, and partially you shoot you generate material that can help you get funding. So CNN Films uh, came in very early. Um, and it's going to it's going to air in the fall on on CNN and also Radius, uh, which is a, a Weinstein company, a, a theatrical releasing company. They came in uh, as well very early. And then there were a, a, a number of uh, nonprofit donors who had supported the Invisible War and others who hadn't. Who, you know, I think more and more people. Um, are seeing the power of documentaries to affect change and certainly to affect the uh, the debate around so you know important social issues, and so we we got very uh, significant support from a number of people that without which we couldn't have made the film. So what do you think about this? That documentaries now are getting supported um, not maybe by public television like they have in the past or by independent funders but actually by um, more you know Netflix, CNN. Uh, uh, HBO, um, that's been happening for a while, but like what, you know, what do you think the impact is? I, th I think it's great. I mean, obviously, PBS still continues to support documentaries, and, and you know, they've, I mean, you know, my hats are off to them. They supported the Invisible War, and just they have a long history of that. But I, I, I think, um, I think it's very positive. Um, uh, it, 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 you know, it, I think, yeah, I think audiences are responding more and more to documentaries. Not so much. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they make do huge box office, but then in you know in the aftermarkets, um, VOD, Netflix, uh, they do very very well because uh, I think people. You, you know, I, th I think people respond to the ambition and the risk that is in a documentary. You really don't have control of what you're doing. And you, you know, you, I mean, 
even you know I've made many films and I'm always surprised every day by what's happening and in some times even approaching panic I might say <laughs> so um, but that's what I love about making films is is the, the is, is they're unpredictable and uh, and I think audiences sense that ambition that risk the unpredictability in the making and it it makes for a a, a more interesting viewing experience as well as of course the you know the sub when the subject matter is of something you know like this where it's you know it's a profound uh, i mean it's a it's an important social issue um i think it helps audiences who are aware beginning to be aware of this to get a grasp on what the issue is so you know one thing that you know my understanding of when i watch these hbo documentaries for example is that they're more drawn to se sensationalistic stories mm -hmm. so i um and i wonder if uh there's something about the pressures about having to be true to your own vision at the same time as making something marketable i mean there's so much now about uh how many people are going to be changed uh by the film like that that's in fundraising proposals mm -hmm. now that didn't used to be there like so what do you think is happening over time in terms of on one hand it's great that people are watching documentaries but in terms of this greater interest on a um, larger maybe corporate level well that's a good question and in some ways we'll you know we'll have to see i mean i think amazon i you know oh, right. I, amazon also yes right mm -hmm. so i mean we'll we'll have to see i mean i uh, you know, I sort of, I guess, as a filmmaker, I, I, I embrace not only the, you know, the, the making of the film, but I embrace the, the process of taking it out into society, too. And when you make a film about, you know, these kinds of issues, I, I mean, I think there's a, from my perspective, anyway, there's a certain obligation to get it out in the way that you think it should, it should be gotten out. But I also see it as, in, I almost see it as all part of one project, the filmmaking and the releasing of it. It's, um, it, it's, I mean, I, I come out of art school and, you know, I, obviously I love art films and I, I just see this and one of the key aspects i think of being an artist is is taking risk and and you know ambition and this you know making a film that you try to you know impact a national debate is a very very ambitious and it so it's just all it's sort of part of what amy and i do i think we're speaking with kirby dick the director of the hunting ground my name is Raina cowan and this is frame to frame you know you've you've been going around the country and actually this past weekend and and Berkeley and San Francisco, you, ans you answered questions, but also other places. Were there certain questions that you got from audiences or dialogues that you got that kind of surprised you? Um, and, and I wouldn't say surprised me. I, I think there is, I think audiences are surprised to learn um, how low the percentage of false reports are. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, I, you sometimes hear gas in the audience when that statistic comes up because there's uh, obviously if somebody's accused of a sexual assault they're going to say it's consensual they're going to say the person making the accusation is lying and then and then the public thinks well we it's hard to say it's a he said she said that's actually the, you know it's the statistics are very much in favor of the person who's reporting the sexual assault so that doesn't mean it happens i mean that doesn't mean it doesn't mean it happened but i think we have to look at it from from that framework um well it's just it's, so it's interesting because so many of your films have been dealing with these issues in a different way 
interested in how like you took on the Catholic Church, you've taken on the U.S. military, uh, you're now taking on higher education, all in ways where um, like we're being able to see things in new ways, and uh, it's a, it's really different than art school. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's a different kind of subversion, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a good way to put it. Yes, um, but uh, I, I see it all as one continuum as far as my work, um, uh, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's always you're exploring, I mean, you know, you're going into this territory, uh, I mean, dealing with these powerful institutions who obviously are so formative in, in our society, but also have, you know, amazing PR machines behind them. Um, so I have to, you know, as I'm constructing my film, I have to think how it's going to land and how it's going to be received institution by institution you know uh you know whether how congress and and how the you know the administration is going to react and you know i have to say they've been extremely supportive they've been i mean i just want to give a little shout out to the, the, you know uh the, you know obama and biden um for taking leadership on this and obviously congress as well there's a bipartisan bill in congress right now and um, which have some very important reforms. Kirby Dick, who's the director of the Hunting Ground, showing at Bay Area's theaters. I'll be back next month to talk more about film. You know, if you're interested in documentaries, this weekend you can go to the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. It's playing March 26th through the 29th in Sebastopol. And one of my favorite films of the past year, 112 Weddings, a new film by Doug Block, is showing on Saturday afternoon, March 28th. And I, it's funny, it's interesting, it's about relationships and how they work and how they don't. Well worth checking out. So um, the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival, and I will be back next month. My name is Raina Cowan. Thanks for listening. Dr. Mario Martinez is coming to Berkeley and Oakland to present the Mind-Body Code, how to change the beliefs that limit your health, longevity, and success. A clinical neuropsychologist who lectures worldwide on the impact of cultural beliefs on our health and longevity, Martinez will appear Wednesday, March 25th, in Berkeley at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way. Dr. Michael Lenore will host. On Friday evening, March 27th, Mario Martinez will speak in Oakland's First Congregational Church, 2501 Harrison Street. Sally Phillips will host. Both KPFA benefits, wheelchair accessible, begin 7.30 p.m. Advanced tickets.